But tonight, I really felt strongly to teach on and just speak about the fact that God wants you to thrive in an atmosphere of chaos. And I spoke about this last week, and once again, it's a prophetic word. Sometimes, as prophets, we get these words, and I've learned that when I get a word like this, this is not a once-off. This is something that I can preach until Jesus comes back, especially in the hour that we're living in. God wants you to thrive. How many of you want to thrive in this atmosphere of chaos? I want to thrive. I want to, I want to do well. And, but before I get there, I just thank you, Mika. God bless you. I want to read a word out of Haggai that I believe is a prophetic word for this, for this season. A prophetic word. We're all looking for a prophetic word. People are saying, what is God saying? Well, I'll tell you what God's saying. Just go to Haggai chapter 2 and let's just go to verse 6. It says, for this says the Lord of hosts, once more, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That actually speaks about two things. How many of you realize that outside of World War I, World War II, that COVID-19 has actually affected as many nations as the Second World War did? 199 nations were affected by Second World War, and right now 199 nations have been affected by COVID-19. So we need to think about the scale of what's going on. And I believe God is shaking the nations. He's shaking the faith of people. Amen? Come on. This is different to, to 9-11. 9-11 was a one-time event that had the church excited for three weeks. This is not a one-time event. This is a multiple monthly event. It's gone on for almost six, seven months. And let me tell you, it's shaking everything that can be shaken. I'm meeting pastors that are giving up, that are resigning. Men that have been in ministry that have said, that's it, I've had it. I'm going back into the secular, in, into the secular world. Because everything about your life will be tested. And if your foundation is not laid correctly, you will not survive. Come on. This, you can't just be a happy, clappy Christian coming to church and not understanding the fact that God wants your foundations to be strong. And then in the same verse, he says this. He says, and I will fill this temple with glory. In, in, in the next breath, I believe God is saying we will come into the greatest season of revival. Revival will come to the nations. Revival is already happening, happening in different countries around the world. There's great outpourings happening in certain nations that you wouldn't even think anything could happen. But let me assure you that God wants His bride to thrive in this atmosphere of chaos. And so let's go straight into the word because I've got a. So you can, go and, you can go and look at that. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, the glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former. The church is going to shine. The sh church is going to come alive. 
And I was just thinking about this during worship. I felt, well, you know, the word I have for Jay and Gretchen, because I really want to give them a word, and the word I have for you is this. And it's not like, well, you're going to go and find this, and you're going to get a house, and you're going to go. The word that I have for you is God says, not only will you break, have a breakthrough anointing on your life, but you'll cause an earthquake in the lives of people as you meet them because of their lack of faith, and the fact that you've stood by faith is going to be something that God's going to use through you to actually expose the faithfulness, the faithlessness in the lives of people. It's like you carry a plumb line in your spirit. You carry a plumb line. You like, you like Mr. Tester. And I'm going to test the faith of this guy. And we're going to test the faith of this church. And we're going to test the faith. Because there's a lot of people coming out of the woodwork. And they can quote scripture, brother. But let me tell you right now. Their foundations are going to be tested. And you're going to be one of those men and women in this season. That's going to test the foundation of men's hearts. This is not about, you know, we think, you know, Christianity is just, well, week to week. This is about eternity. This is not about Sunday morning membership. You've got to get it right. Some of you have been running back and forth. You're in the world. You're shacking up with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend. You're doing this stuff out there in the world. And God says, you know what? I'm going to test your foundation. You're going to have to stand in this season. Amen. Come on. Last night there was a lady here. I invited her to come to Jesus. You know what she said to me? She said, I've got too many deities. I can't fall in love with Jesus. That means I'm going to have to leave all my deities. She was in the building. And I just said, God bless you. Good night. Thank you very much. Because I'm not going to spend time with unproductive seed. I'm looking for productive seed. And we've spent too much time with unproductive people. And the majority of the people that are hungry has had to suffer for the majority, for the minority. The small minority of people. This morning I met another woman. I heard her speak about Jesus, about my Jesus, my King. And so I went up to them and I said, it's so nice to hear about Jesus. And as she started to speak, I realized how deceived she was. Because once again, they want to use Jesus as, uh, as the uh, get, out of, get out of a jail card, but they don't love Jesus enough to give up on Buddhism. So we got to get it right. And so I believe in this season, God is shaking some stuff. And we're going to be shaken in this season. Let me tell you, your faith is going to be shaken. Your vision is going to be shaken. Your commitment is going to be shaken. Your covenant is going to be shaken. Your relationship. We know in our marriage, I want to be transparent. The first 12 years of my marriage to my wife, my, my marriage was shaken to the core because my principles and my roots and my foundation was built on my mindset and my, my heart and my emotion. And I want to tell you, you can ask my wife, God shook my little foundation right off its little stand. And God said, said you've got to rebuild this thing because you're not building on my principles is that okay yeah. i just want to be sure that we all understand because i have people following me around the world just to get a word i'm not into groupies and all sorts of stuff so if you want to get a word and you think i'm just one of those guys going to give you a nice word you're mistaken do you understand what i'm saying the prophecy and the prophets that god's raising up in this season are not for the faint-hearted There's an Elijah anointing resting on the prophets in the nation. 
And you've got to be very careful that when you come to prophetic meetings, that you just think somebody's just going to give you a nice word, and you're going to feel good, and it's who we're going to marry, and who we're going to... Do. You can't do that anymore. You cannot proselyte or proselyte or prostitute the anointing. God is shaking some things, and I'm telling you, God is moving on the earth, and He's bringing people back into the fire of purity. There's a purity movement. We went ballistic and we spoke against the holiness movement. Let me tell you, the church has got to get holy. We've got to get back to purity and holiness and righteousness and separate. You know, I saw something today that I had to, I had to write something thing about it, about the people that are actually fully being chosen. And they were saying, and I love chosen, I've been watching it. They were saying, happy Halloween and on, on their Facebook. And so I had to write to them and say, how are you, a group of people, speaking about Jesus, and in the same breath, you wishing people Halloween? Are you just a nominal group of Christians wanting to make another movie so you can make some money? Come on, man, we've got to call this stuff out. And so I want to just say that, I don't know why I'm speaking that tonight, but we've got to get sober we are in the season of the ten virgins. And that's not in my notes tonight, but I want to tell you, I need, I need to probably speak into it. We are in the season prophetically of the ten virgins. And you know how many virgins slept? All of them fell asleep. But the, the virgins, before they fell asleep, made sure their lamps were trimmed. You've got to be sure your lamp's trimmed. You've got oil in your lamp. Your wicks are trimmed. You are ready. You are watching. You are waiting for your bridegroom. Because the, the hour draws near. So we don't have to be sober. Amen. Have a kingdom mindset. And so tonight all of creation. And I think I spoke about this the other night. I can't remember. But Romans 8 and 19 says all of creation groans. Say groans. For the manifestation of the sons of glory. All of creation, all of the nature, all of the things around us groans for the manifestations of the sons of glory. And let me tell you right now, your environment should be changing dramatically because you are changing the environment. You are creating an ecosystem of God's glory. Amen. Come on. You know, I meet people that are Christians and I'll say, how are you doing? Eh? You ain't going to touch your environment. How are you doing? You know, I'm telling you right now, you're not an asset. We've got to become an asset. So because if you're not changing your environment, your environment is changing you. Your environment will affect how you think. Remember what I said the other night, there are spiritual laws, there are principalities and powers. And you know, even this morning we went somewhere and I didn't put my safety belt on, but when I drove out of the parking, I stopped the vehicle and I said to Dee, the devil is a legalist. So I put my, my safety belt on. You know what that means? I know that if I drove out of that parking lot, somebody would have pulled me over and fined me because that's the law of the country. Amen? Come on. The same thing happens in the spiritual realm. When we, don't, when we are not observant, when we are not attentive, the enemy is. So you've got to think about, how do I change my environment? You and I have got to be courageous. 
We've got to be courageous. And tonight I want to show you a moment, just a little moment in the life of David as he changes an environment. He creates an ecosystem of God's glory to land in the valley. Amen? Just one little guy. What am I trying to tell you tonight? This is what I'm saying. God wants you to thrive in environment or an atmosphere of chaos. He wants you to be the ones that come with the answers. You the guys that are excited. You the people that have the faith. You the people that have the vision. Amen. Come on. And so the, the sky is not falling. How many of you remember that story? The sky is falling. Donkey, what was his name? It was in Winnie the Pooh. Chicken Little. Chicken Little. Winnie the Pooh, whoever. The sky is falling. And you see, and God says, you know, if that's your language, you will never, ever, ever change the environment. And we've got to see something happen to change the environment. And so, and, and so when you read, let's go to 1 Samuel 17. Because he doesn't take notice. Say that with me. He doesn't take notice. Say it again. He doesn't take notice. Some of you are taking notice of things that you shouldn't be taking notice of. You're actually making a big thing out of nothing. You should be keeping your eyes on the kingdom. But David, when he arrives in the scene, and we all know 1 Samuel 17 from verse 1 right through until the end of the chapter is really about when David comes into the valley um, and he is invited, well, he's actually asked by his father to go and bring his brothers some cheese and biscuits and some figs and some food. And he comes into the, into, onto the battlefield and he's, he, he looks around and let me tell you, there was a lot of chaos. And I'll read you a couple of scriptures. But it doesn't take notice of the chaos. Listen to what David does. He chooses to meditate on what God has already done and is doing through him. Can I just say this to you? You've got to start taking notice of what God's doing through you and in you and around you. You've got to take notice of what God's already done in you. God has put some, some amazing principles and authority in you. He has reinforced you. He has called you a son. He's called you a daughter. I, Philippians 1.6, and Paul writes this so beautifully, and Paul says, I am convinced of this very thing, that he who started a good work in me, or in a good work in you, shall bring it to completion, and then we stop reading. That's not what it says. It says, and I'm convinced of this very thing, that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion and develop you. Say develop. So you've got to come into agreement with God tonight and say, God, I want you to develop my faith. I want you to develop my vision. I want you to develop me spiritually. I need some spiritual, um, some spiritual muscles. I need some insight. I need some wisdom. I need to be prophetic. God, would you develop me in the sphere of chaos that we're living in so that I can thrive and in me thriving, everybody around me thrives. Amen. Amen. Like gardening, you know, we had sprays in our garden and for a long time I'm thinking, why is the spray spraying the flowers when it should be spraying the grass? And God said to me, just like that, it rains on the just and the unjust. <laughs> it's like, okay, love you flowers. 
What am I trying to say? Listen to me. If you're not thriving, nobody thrives. Unbelievers don't thrive. Believers don't thrive. Principal, uh, businesses don't thrive. Your neighbors don't thrive. The city doesn't thrive. Nobody thrives unless you thrive. And you can only thrive when you come into an understanding and agreement with God that you are a son and a daughter of covenant. That I'm not going to take notice of the fake news. I'm not going to take notice. I'm going to take notice of what God's already said. And I'm going to choose to meditate on what God is saying to me all the time. I choose to meditate on his word. Listen to me very carefully tonight. Your relationship with God. Listen to this. This is a revelation to me. This was something God downloaded to me. He said, your relationship with me should be manifesting the kingdom around you in such a way that confusion, chaos, restlessness, etc., etc., is brought into alignment and order. Let me say that again. Your relationship with me, God is saying, should be manifesting around you in such a way chaos, confusion, restlessness, etc., etc., is brought into alignment and order. My relationship with God should be manifesting around me. People shouldn't be thinking, I wonder if they go to church. They should know that I'm in relationship with God. Because my relationship is manifesting. Is that making sense? My relationship with D is, does manifest every day. How? Through kindness, mercy, grace, politeness, good behavior. Because of our covenant, I'm... I'm in covenant, there's grace, there's mercy, there's generosity. Amen, come on. Your relationship with your family ought to manifest some great stuff. Or do you meet with people in your family, they're always abusive. They always abuse you and misuse you and there's fighting and screaming. Is that the type of manifestation that you want when people see your family? What do they actually see when people meet us because we're part of the family of God? They should see the manifest presence of God. I'm from another family. I'm from another bloodline. Amen. Come on. I'm no longer part of the bloodline of my, my, my natural father. I'm now part of the bloodline of my spiritual father. And whatever's running through his veins is running through my veins. And so that means that the fruit of the Spirit is evident. And so when David arrived there, he didn't take notice. So let's go to 1 Samuel 17. And I'm just going to read a couple of um, um, verses here from verse 8. It says that... Um, Goliath, that says, then he stood and cried out to the armies of, of Israel, speaking about this man called Goliath. And he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11 is very important. It says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. What is wrong with that verse right there? Verse 
not just afraid, no. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Can I tell you what was wrong with that verse? They were in covenant with God, number one. Number two, they were in relationship with God. They should not have been dismayed or afraid because of their relationship, because of their history with God. They had known about um, um, coming out of Egypt. Amen. Come on. They, were, they must have been told story after story after story through generations. They, must have, they should have known better, Jesse. Your relationship with God does not bring you into a place of anxiety. Are you hearing me? Yes. You should know. It says, my people, people who know their God will do great exploits. How many of you know God? Please put your hand up. Both hands, both feet. I know God. I'm in relationship with God. I'm in covenant with God. I know my God. I'm in relationship. I know Jesus. Jesus is on the inside of me. So when I look at this, it's crazy. It says, now David was the son of an Ephrite of Bethlehem, whose name was Jesse. Hallelujah. And who had eight sons. And it says, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of the three sons who went to the battle was Eliab and Amadab and Shammah. David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days. Can you imagine? Every day for 40 days, the same voice, the same defying, the same voice in your face every day. And some of you had have those experiences. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's just the enemy trying to get in your head. And you've got to realize that God has given you an amazing power and authority, a legal authority over this thing. And listen to what David does, and I'm, I'm, we'll get there. I'm just laying foundation. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephod of the dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep of the keeper, and took the things that went as Jesse had commanded. And it came into this camp, and as he came into the camp, as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he was there with them, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming out from the armies of the Philistines, he spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. In other words, David was privileged. Listen to me. The armies of Israel were greatly afraid because when you read 23 and 24, let me read this again. It says here, verse 23, it says here, it says, um, so David, we heard him, and all, verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and was dreadfully afraid. Beginning, they were just afraid. And they were, they were dreadful. What was that scripture? They were afraid and dismayed. Now they're fleeing from the dude. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, many times when we don't find our position, when we don't find our strength, when we don't find our alignment, when we don't find our assignment, and the words come and the things stum, like COVID-19, we then start getting dismayed. We start losing our faith. Well, I thought that so-and-so would die of COVID. We start speaking nonsense. Oh, I thought the economy wouldn't last. I thought that their prayer wouldn't work. 
I thought that this wouldn't happen. And we start to speak a language that is not consistent to the language of heaven. Are you hearing me? Come on, church. It's not time to fall asleep now. It's time to wake up. Because we are needing to be on a journey. We will all be in a battlefield at some stage of our life. It's how you enter the battle and it's how you end the battle. Amen. Come on. David wasn't shouting on behalf of Israel. He didn't take anybody's part. He was there to deliver cheese and biscuits, but was caught up in this thing. And as he heard the Philistines speak, something rose on the inside of him. Amen. Come on. Because way down here in verse verse 29, listen to verse this. It says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard he spoke. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? Isn't there something? There's always a brother in the mix that's going to give you resistance. I'm telling you, I've been around long enough. My greatest foes and enemies aren't being the unbelievers. Been the church. And people will come with the greatest intentions, but their intentions are from the pit of hell. I thought you wouldn't make it in ministry. I told you not to start a church in Harley Miley. Told you not to do this. Told you not to do that. And this man started to speak with him, says, why did you come here? And whom have you left your few sheep in the wilderness with? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. That's so far from the heart of David. David wasn't insolent. David wasn't prideful. And this, by the way, was after he was anointed as king. You're dealing with a king. I know what I would have done if, if I was David. Cut his head off. But David doesn't say anything. Listen to what David's heart is. Verse 29. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? I want you to say that with me. Is there not a cause? Gretchen, is there not a cause in our lifetime to win this battle with great anointing? Is there not a cause? Yes, there is. is there not a cause in your life to rise up in the season of your life and say, we are going to take notice. And we're giving the devil notice over this nation. We're going to start a stand on God's word. And we're going to bring righteousness back as the standard. Not humanism. Not some half-baked potato theology. But we're going to bring the word of God back as the test. This is the standard. This is the gold standard. And David has to set things right. says, is there not a cause? Then he turned from toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones. Did. And so now when the words which David spoke were heard. Listen to me. When your words of faith are heard. Let me tell you. Nations will hear about it. Because his word affected the king's heart. His word of, of saying, no, you know what? Is there a cause? It actually came to Saul's ears. And Saul called on David and says, who are you? You can go and read it. And says to him, yes, yes, my, yes, all my stuff. Where all my stuff? And I want to tell you, is there not a cause? Can you, can you imagine the chaos in this battlefield but David? David is so intent to see this man fall because he's in relationship. Listen to me tonight. There are four things I'm going to give you. For you to thrive in an atmosphere of chaos, you're going to have to have courage. He had courage. He was full of courage. Come on. He had courage because he never relented to his brother's remarks. 
He didn't shrink back and leave the battlefield with his tail between his legs. He actually didn't even, he didn't even respond to his brother. He just said, is there not a cause? He turned it around. See, every time you hear something spoken from a spirit of anxiety or fear or unbelief or whatever it is, you've got to respond in a different spirit. Courage. The Bible says in Revelation, what, how many people will actually inherit the kingdom? Those who have not got their cloaks dirty. What does he say about cowards? Cowards do not have a place in the kingdom. And right now, many people in ministry are opting out and living in no man's land because there's no opposition in no man's land. And we preach a false doctrine where we say to people, well, you know what? You, I mean, if you have any resistance, then you just opt for this type of lifestyle and that type of lifestyle. Don't confront anybody. Just be happy. Just show grace. Be tolerant. And we lose the edge of purity and holiness because we don't want to confront we were speaking about it this morning. I believe God's raising up spiritual activists in this season. Say spiritual activists. You're going to have to stand for righteousness. When you hear unrighteous speech, you're going to say, no, that's not the word of the Lord. Amen. Come on. I, I'm, I've been doing it. And I don't care anymore. I used to care a lot. There's no worries anymore. You see the worry in my eye? It's gone. Because I'm going to stand before God one day. And I'm going to have to be given an account of what I've been teaching. And I don't want to get there and say, oops. I thought I was going to get a little fan club. So I just thought I'd tell them all the nice stuff. Amen. When you, when you, what's your name? Dana. Your name is Dana. When you're in love, you can tell her all these beautiful things. But when you get married, you may make sure that you can back that stuff up. I've been there, done that, burn a t-shirt. 33 years later, I want to tell you, she remembered everything I said and promised her. <laughs> they don't forget. You see, it's amazing when we bring people into the kingdom, we give them all this soft, sweetie pie, sugar-coated stuff, and, and this will never happen to you, don't worry, everything will be well. You know, just come in and wave your hands and do this and do that. But then we don't realize that God actually brings us into seasons of warfare. You've got to be established. How do you fight when somebody in your family is dying of cancer? How do you stand when somebody in your family is killed in a car accident? How do you stand when your, your wife or your husband just leaves you on a whim for, for somebody else? How do you stand? We, we just leave churches because somebody just gave us cold coffee. We leave churches because we don't like the fans. They're too loud. We, don't we haven't taught the church how to stand. Be courageous. David was courageous. He wasn't noticing all the stuff. He was intent in killing Goliath because he heard Goliath say something about his God that he was in relationship with. Number two, his worshiping lifestyle produced peace. He was at peace. I'm not saying he was a man of peace, but he was at peace. There's a big difference. I'm a man of peace, but there's times in my life that I'm not at peace. He was at peace. He was confident. Amen. Come on. He wasn't running around trying to think, man, what am I going to kill that guy with? He had the answer. He was in covenant. The covenant of God in your life should be enough answer for you to resist the devil. 
That's the answer I need. Every time in my life, because of my covenant with God, and opposition came, and temptation came, and stuff came in my life, the only weapon I had was covenant. Hello? My covenant was the weapon. Because my covenant had me look at the cross, transfigured, Jesus on the cross. My covenant reminds me of what happened on the cross, gives me the authority and the ability to stand my ground. That's covenant. Amen? Amen. Number three, I'm going through this very quick. Because God gave him victory over the lion and the bear, he trusted God. Let me tell you what I've learned in life. Let me tell you what I've learned. When I meet people that have not killed the lion and the bear of their lives, there's no trust. Until you've been in a battle, you will not know how to trust God. I'm not saying that all of us need to be in a battle, but I want to tell you again, if you haven't been in a battle and you haven't understood how to trust God, you probably still have some lions and bears to kill. Some of you are trying to take on your Goliath and you haven't killed the bear and the lion yet. You haven't taken care of the issues in your life that torment you. But you want to take down Goliath. Forget about Goliath. Find the bear and the lion. Find the mouse and the raccoon. Find the rabbit and the ostrich. Kill that stuff before you try and attempt killing Goliath. Because in Goliath, killing Goliath, David could trust God. Why? Because he already killed the lion and the bear. Do you understand? So God's looking for a courageous people. Is this making sense? Are you courageous? Come on, that's the the very half-hearted. Are you courageous? Then act like it. Speak like you're courageous. It's not not stuff you put on your bread. It's stuff that you you have to live every day of your life. I have to be courageous. For my family, for my wife, for my grandchildren. For my grandchildren's grandchildren. I have to be courageous. Amen. Come on. Do you trust God? Yes. You sure? Yes. Also very half-hearted. Do you trust God? Yes. Let's get the faith moving in us. You have to trust God. Are you a man of peace? Do you have peace in the environment of war? Yes. Why? Because Jesus has already fought the fight. Amen. And so when I look at this, it's like, what is being produced in you? I want, to, I want you to listen to my question. What is being produced in you in this season? What's being produced in you in this season? You know what God produced in me in this season? Faith. More faith. Abundant faith. Great courage. Great trust. Great peace. It's like, God, I, there was like things coming out of my... It's like I was a tree and there was like... Tonk, tonk. <laughs> things being produced in me. It's like, woo! I was happy with my little world. And then suddenly God says, okay, son, in this season, you've been producing more faith, more vision, more courage, more confidence, more zeal, more intimacy. I'm seeing things producing. So when you think about the season, Nesta, what's been produced in your life? What's been produced in you? Faith or fear? What's been produced in you? More vision? More excitement? What what has been produced? Because right, right now we're all under pressure. This morning when my ministry that I, we had, we bought our tickets. We were so excited to go to Belgium and Portugal and England. Today, cancelled. Something rose up inside of me. 
I was like, that thing needs to die now in Jesus' name. I'm tired of wearing this thing over my mouth. I'm tired of hearing COVID-19. I'm tired of it. Come on, you've got to draw a line in the sand and be a little, a little, a little aggressive. Otherwise, we just walk around bowed down by all sorts of demonic policies that have been inscripted and written, and we don't even know it's written. And demonic men and uncouth men and ungodly men are rewriting stuff in their legislation to keep you complicit. I'm tired of it. Because you know what happens in my world? A man or a woman that could have been born again and led to Jesus may even go to hell before I get there. See, that's how I think. Somebody that could have been healed and set free and led into relationship with Jesus could now go to hell because I can't get there. See, that's how we people think. We people, we think kingdom. And so I was like, God, what, what is it? God said, I'll, I'll tell you what. I will multiply and, and multiply and build it by what you need to be doing in the kingdom. This is just a season. But I have produced in you the ability to wait upon me. Amen. He understands my passion. He understands my aggression. He understands the fact that I want to get out there. But you know what? My God is bigger than that. And so I have to just go back and say, okay, God, what is the last thing that David had in this whole deal? Can I give you the last one? So the first one was courage. Say courage. Courage. Do you have courage for this season? And let me ask you again, do you have courage for the season? Yes. Do you have peace in the season? Yes. Do you trust God through the season? Yes. And let me give you the last one. You see, that was awesome. Amen. Now, if you, can you imagine if you took that attitude out there in the world? The last characteristic is found in Philippians 4. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 4. And I know this is short and sweet tonight. But we've got to get this in our spirit. God is raising up a brilliant army. And you're it. Amen. I'm so delighted to be able to walk with you in relationship. I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm more convinced today than I've been. And I'm, I've been coming to these islands. I wasn't even 40. I, I think I was. Was I 40? What was I in 96? So what was I? I was 45. I was 46 years old. No, it's more than that. I was probably 36 years old. Yeah, I was 36. 1995, I was 35. Woo! Man, I still feel like I'm 35. Amen. Come on, brother. Give, tell me something nice. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you know what? I'm more convinced today than ever before that Hawaii will see revival. You know, what I've seen in the last couple of weeks with all the Trump caravans, I'm thinking, Lord, that's a natural expression of what they actually carry internally. What you guys are doing with, with Trump and the flags and, the, and all that stuff, and by the way, I don't care if you don't like Trump. You need to get over it. Because we're not dealing with a character or a personality. We're dealing with policies that will either kill a child or keep a child alive. So you got to choose because you will stand accountable before God one day if you vote for a man that will kill a baby at nine months. So shame on you 
If you think that that is acceptable in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to get saved. And so when I saw the caravans of people going down the road, the Lord spoke to me, um, Pastor Jane, he said this, that which you see in the natural, that manifestation, is actually what they carry internally. In other words, there is internal fire going on in the hearts of people for justice and revival in this nation. And what you're seeing in the natural is what they carry in the spiritual. And can you imagine if what you guys carry in in the natural is translated through you in the spiritual, how much revival could take place? You go back in your history. I've been reading some history on the, on the Hawaiian warriors, the people that actually stood in defense over this island. I'm telling you, I wouldn't even mess with them, not even with a gun, man. Those guys, guys were ruthless. You're going to study the history of what's that mountain across the way you're called? Not Haleakala, honey. Monakia. Is it Monakia? Go and read the history of the battles that took place in those valleys. The streams ran with blood, man. Eo Valley. Sounds like an African language coming at you. But these guys were ruthless. They were warriors. They protected the kingdom. We've got something to protect. And so when I drove around, I was just like, God, there's revival in the hearts and the veins of these people. They just have to come to the conclusion saying, yes, we want it. Amen. So let me give you the last one. Philippians chapter 4. I'm very passionate tonight, people. I'm just, I just feel a fire in my belly tonight. We've got to get this stuff right. We've got to get it right. We've got to start to do it right. We've got to start speaking stuff that people are going to start to be drawn to. You can't just be speaking, you know, just let your gums clap and there's nothing coming out of your mouth. You've got to be speaking revelation. You've got to be bringing people into a place of relationship. And they've got to see courage on you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lead, I'm not going to follow somebody without courage. I want to see courage. I want to see a leader that at least has peace in the problem. Amen. Come on. There's trust. But let me give you this one. Philippians chapter 4 verse 12. Are you guys okay? It says here, Philippians chapter 1 on, on page 1456. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. See, that's the, that's the action right there. So that it has become evident to the whole palace God and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Amen. Come on. That's the first scripture I want to speak with you. So yeah, we have a man that spread the gospel in chains and all of the palace God knew it. But then you go to Philippians chapter 4. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Just across the page. Verse, Philippians chapter 4. That first one was Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 4 verse 12 says this. Listen to this. It says verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly and now at least at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity. Listen to this. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Say content. 
I was having lunch with Jesse and Arden the other day, and we were, when we left the restaurant, I said to Dee, they are so content because they've learned how to be content. Amen? Come on. When you meet someone that's content, you can't take it from them because being a content person, normally you receive that ability of being content in the midst of the battle. Amen? Come on. So be content. And so when I read this, it says, I've learned how to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Jesus Christ that strengthens me. Woo! Say all things. I can do. Say I can do. I can be. I can do. I can speak. I can run. All things, man. I could do all things. Because Christ is in me. On me and around me. I'm content. And you know, David ran. It says, when you read that whole story in the Hebrew, David was twitching. He was so excited to kill Goliath. He didn't just pick up one stone. He picked up... Who? Why? Because Goliath had four brothers and they were at the battle too. So he was not just ready for Goliath, he was ready for the brothers. Bring it on. I've heard all sorts of people speak, oh, well, he picked up five stones because it was five. Four. No, no, no. He picked up the five stones, people, because there were four, five giants, not just one. And you've got to be prepared in the season. You've got to have the word already. When it comes out of your mouth, it's like five swords. Amen. Don't back down. Don't allow people to come and tamper with your faith. Don't allow people to come and talk you out of your dream, out of your passion. People told me years ago, Pastor David, you're too zealous. Really? You ain't seen nothing yet. And I came under tremendous condemnation because I was so zealous for the Lord. You see, my background gave me the... The, 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 quali- the, the, the qualification for zeal because I was a hater. I hated people. I was a neo-Nazi that hated people. And then I got saved. And it was like my born-again experience wasn't like a pastor looked at me and said, well, if you want to get saved, just wink at me and wave your hand. That wasn't my experience. My experience was radical. I was radically saved by Jesus. Amen. I didn't, get, I didn't come to church because my parents went to church and I sat there. Now I'm a, I, was like an, I was a Christian through generations. No, I got radically saved by Jesus. Amen. And I used to be so shy to speak about my conversion and about my back. And I don't anymore because my background many times have led other people into the kingdom. Amen. Come on. What are you going to lose? Let me tell you, if we don't become men of courage, men of grace, men of vision, men of uh, um, peace, men of trust, we, we end up abdicating our authority to a humanistic th- theology. It'll suck the life out of you. Have you ever seen some, some insects, like some insects that eat other insects? The first thing the spider does, he sucks the juice out of the other spider. And the enemy wants to suck the juice out of you. Suck all the faith out of you. David got into that battle. And I want to tell you something. When he hit that Goliath, let me tell you. The dread and the fear in the lives of the armies of Israel turned to singing. So the first thing that he established on that battlefield in the midst of chaos was worship. 
Come on. That's powerful, man. So when you and I come into agreement, listen to me, when we open, we come into agreement. God's glory is revealed when we come into agreement. Don't let your light go out because of the external darkness. Let your light shine even brighter so you can expel chaos. Amen? Come on. People say to me all the time, oh, it's getting so dark out there. Yes, there's darkness out there, but let's us put our lights on. It's like the Motel 6, we'll keep the lights on for you. So who are you keeping the lights on for? Are you passionate about this season? I believe that every one of you will thrive in this season of chaos. You will thrive in this season. You will thrive in this season.